0: Thank you, Grace. Thank you all for singing out. We're continuing our, our, our journey through the Gospel of John. And I hope in the midst of it that we are lear- doing more than learning about the Gospel of John, but, but helping to see the central figure of the Gospel of John. And that is not John, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're seeing that chapter 10 is one of our, our, our most precious of passages Uh, And some of the riches it declares. John is such a powerful book, and it's tempting to start right back and go out and say, "Let's go back to John chapter one, verse one, and start." But we won't. Our text today is John chapter ten, verses sixteen through twenty-one. But I'd like to just begin back there in verse eleven, because it's all kind of connected. John chapter ten, starting at verse eleven through verse twenty-one. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. And I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he is a demon and he is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind This will close this encounter. And then if you look on to verse 22, then the Jews, or verse 22, now it was the feast of dedication. So we're going to jump a couple of months between those two verses, but that will be next time. Jesus is speaking to people about things they know, sheep and shepherds. And he said, I'm the good shepherd who will lay down his life. And did you notice I have the power to lay it down? And, And he says, I have the power to lift it up. He has explained he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Verse 15, as the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life. And, and some of your translations have their give, but really it has the idea to place, to lay down, like to lay down a purchase price, to lay down an ex- and there's sort of a sense of an exchange in there. And then he introduces another concept, a new concept. He He has other sheep. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. And then he says in this, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So he's speaking of himself as the shepherd, and he's been speaking of himself as the shepherd that they recognize. Remember, I call... My, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. And the picture there was in the morning as they, uh, well, the shepherds shared a sheep fold, an enclosed, fenced off area. And together they would bring in their own sheep from various shepherds would bring their sheep and one would spend the night just making sure they're okay. In the morning, the various shepherds were come and each one had their distinctive call. and And the sheep knew their shepherd's call and his voice I think I have shared with you when we talked about this about the fellow who was visiting with the shepherd and, and, and wanted to see how this worked out and, and he gave his call and the sheep come running to the shepherd he said I want to try something maybe they're just, they just know that particular those words or sounds maybe it's your garments so I'm going to put on your garments I'm going to give your call we'll see if it works Well, he called and called and they didn't, they didn't budge they knew their shepherd. But here's the picture. Different shepherds would come in. They'd give their call. And their sheep would leave the fold. And follow him for the, to the pasture. Where they were going for the day. Well now he says. I have other sheep. Than the ones that are in this fold. He calls his sheep out of. The community sheepfold and the sheep follow him. He's, and, 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 but he's saying, I have other sheep. They aren't in the sheepfold, they aren't here. And what he's talking about here is he's introducing a new idea of, of other sheep that aren't in this group. Now, now, in the context, he's talking that sheepfold. What is he talking about there? He's been talking about, you know, the, the, the Jewish leaders that are the false te- that have been the false teachers, and he's talking about the Jewish community. He's talking about the Jewish people. That's the sheepfold, and he and he's saying some of the sheep that are in that sheepfold, some of the sheep of among the Jewish people, are his sheep, the followers of him. And how do you know? Well, he's, he'll say later on. If I can jump ahead to verses 26 and 27 for a minute, he says, "You do not believe because you're not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me." He's talking about those who know him; those who are, those are his sheep. Not all of Israel, not all of the Jews believed in him. I mean, we can see that the ones who came in were—I remember—they'd already decided in chapter nine. If you the the leadership had said, if you Believe in Jesus, if you profess Jesus, you'll be excommunicated from the synagogue. So, and, and this chapter, our, our section today ends with a division uh, among the Jews. Some saying he's a demon, he's demon possessed. Another saying, well, I don't think so. But there were, but in other words, not all of Israel followed him. But then he goes on to say, he has sheep that are not of this fold. They're not of the Jewish people. In Biblical thinking, they're basically, in many ways, just two groups of people ethnically: Jews and not Jews. And the Jews are in the biblical language called the nations, or we would often use the expression Gentiles. So what he's saying is, "I have non-Jewish sheep." That would be stunning. Matter of fact, if you go back to Luke, when when Jesus gave his first sermon uh, in in his hometown, Nazareth. And and one of the things he said is, you'll notice that God showed mercy even to some Gentiles. And the, the crowd response was interesting. They turned into a mob and tried to throw him off the cliff. One of the things I like about Terrell... Because there are no cliffs. <laughs> I, I feel a sense of security that I can maybe be a little risky in my preaching. But, in other words, but here's the note. What? Are you suggesting that the God of Israel would show mercy to Gentiles? And so here he's saying, I have sheep. I have, I have sheep that are not of Israel. And he says, um, and I must, them also I must bring. And they'll hear my voice. And so when he says they'll hear his voice, that's an expression not just that they hear, but they hear and follow. They listen to his voice. They will respond to his voice. And he's saying, notice there he says, I must bring them. This is part of God's sovereign will. It's God's purpose to reach Jew and Gentile. But when he says they'll hear my voice, the Gentile sheep will surely believe and Jesus will lead them. And that's so what he's saying is I have these. Now, can I get, let's get a little grammatical here, okay? Listen, I have other sheep, they will hear my voice. Some of our advanced students will notice some things. I have other sheep, that's the present tense. They will hear my voice. That's future. We'll hear. Is that a little, hopefully it's not too complex for us. But what, notice, so what he's saying is they're already mine, and they have, but they will believe. And that's what a doctrine we often call the doctrine of election. That God has already chosen some who have yet to believe. That's what he's saying here. So, so I have sheep. Uh, here in Israel, and not, not all of them have believed. Matter of fact, you get to the end of Jesus' ministry, and there's maybe some hundreds that have followed in faith in Jesus. And his disciples take off, and thousands start responding. But in other words, at this point, not, of all, not even all the, the uh, elect of God, the chosen of God, have, have come to faith in Israel. But he's saying to them, And I must go to the Gentiles, and they. There are elect among the Gentiles. Now, again, this this would cause heads to spin. Elect among the Gentiles. Now, in biblical law, if your donkey fell into a pit, even on the Sabbath, even though you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, you could rescue your donkey. But the rabbis debated, what if a Gentile fell into a pit? It was kind of back and forth on that. Could you really rescue a Gentile? So there was there was some animosity going both ways. To say that some of God's people are even among the gentiles was stunning. So but so so that's what so here we're talking about a concept we the word election is not in this elect or election is not in the word isn't here but the concept is. They're already his. They and for that reason they will respond to the gospel. That's why Jesus says later on in John chapter 10, you're not, you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. You're not of my elect. You're not of my chosen ones. Now, honestly, as soon as you start talking about the elect and doctrines of God's sovereignty, sometimes that can cause some discomfort. Sometimes it can cause conflict. It's kind of funny. Whether you're talking about election or elections, you can get division and conflict. Um, I want to read, so I want to read a couple of preacher quotes, if I may. One of them, my good friend, uh, uh, Chuck Spurgeon, uh, made these remarks. And he was preaching on Genesis 26, 29 at the time. But Charles Spurgeon, late 18, middle, middle, late 1800s um, Baptist preacher in London said this. I heard one say, it is not just that God should have a chosen people. Or we might say it's not fair, but anyway. Sir, he responds, do you want to be one of God's people? These blessings which God gives to them, do you want to have them? You may have them if you will. If you will not have them, I pray you, do not quarrel with God because he chooses to give to whom he wills. There are two great truths of God which from this platform I have proclaimed for many years. The first is that salvation is free to every man who will have it. The second is that God gives salvation to a people whom he has chosen. These two truths are not in conflict with one another in the least degree. If you want the blessing of the Lord, have it even now. For my commission as an ambassador of Christ is to beseech men to be reconciled to God. If you do not want it, do not quarrel with God for giving it to his own chosen own. It was so with the Philistines, and then he goes back to Genesis. So you see what he's saying? A lot of people say, well, wait a minute. It's not fair that God chooses some to believe. If you want to believe, he freely invites you to believe. So don't blame the election for your unbelief. Unbelief is an act of my own sinful will. But God in his mercy reaches out and enables some to believe. That's the doctrine of election. But see what he's saying is don't criticize God. He offers you salvation if you will believe. But the point is the elect he enables to believe. Well, that's 100 years ago, 150 years ago. Um, let me come to a little closer. Maybe you know the, the name J. Vernon McGee. And honestly, I can't think of two more different pastors. One, you know, the, 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 the wonderful, resonant voice of a Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I've never heard his voice, of course, but he was just famous for his preaching voice. And J. Vernon McGee, who, who had a very distinctive voice as well, he says this, There was a great theologian in the past by the name of Simeon, uh, Charles Simeon. In his sermons on Romans 8, he said there were three reasons why he preached on the doctrine of election. It laid the root at the acts of, one, pride, two, presumption, and three, despair. I like that. My friend. Oh, I wish I could put on a McGee voice right now. If If you've listened to him on the radio, you can hear it as I'm reading it. My friend. There is no place for human pride in the doctrine of election. That's one of the things I love about the concept. You know, you're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. In heaven, we can't say, I was smarter, I was better. Every one of us would say, I'm here by God's grace, 100%. Anyway, it's God's work. There is no place for human pride in the doctrine of election. It is God's work, his wisdom, his purpose that is being carried out. The will of God comes down out of eternity past like a great steamroller. Don't think you can stop it. In fact, you'd better get on and ride. (laughs) So that's that's the McGee approach to it. But so what he is saying is, um, he's announcing in in, in the terms that he's been describing sheep and folds. And so within this sheepfold, I have other sheep. I have I have have sheep within the sheepfold. Those who will believe among the Jews. But he says, but I have other sheep as well. And again, don't miss that word must. The Lord must bring the elect Gentiles to faith. This is a missionary text. I must go to to reach those other sheep. Now he goes through the church. But this text and, and a lot of people say, well, election kills evangelism. That's not true historically, but I won't get into that discussion now. But, but notice right here, he says, because of election, I must go and get my sheep. And so when we go out and we're sharing the gospel, we are fulfilling the must of God's will for our Lord Jesus Christ. We must go and gather the sheep. But how would we know which ones are The sheep. It's been said, you know, some people credit, said, well, oh, Spurgeon, you, you believe in election. If you do that, why do you preach to people who may or may not be saved? And he said, well, if, you could, if I could run around and lift their coattail and see a, a sign on the back that told me they're elect, well, then I would run around and just only preach to the elect. But since I don't, I give the invitation out and the elect will respond. And so, but Jesus said, I must go. David Livingston went to Africa Firmly convinced that God had a people in Africa. And he had the the, the tales are hard. He really struggled there. When they found him, finally, uh, they hadn't seen him in a while. When they finally found him, he was alone in the jungle on his knees. He died praying. Um, He had such a heart for Africa. They buried his heart in Africa and took his body back to England where he's buried in Westminster Abbey. And on his tombstone is this verse. I have other sheep, and I must bring them in. And so, and, and so those were, some were inspired by the same text and through the example of David Livingston, they formed what eventually became Africa Inland Mission to bring the gospel to the other sheep. And frankly, most of us, I'm going to guess, are not Jewish. Thank God he included the other sheep. Otherwise, it would be really bad, but I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. But, but, but so, so we're seeing some grand truths in here, and I love how these two thoughts are brought together. Some want to say, well, if you believe in election, then you believe, well, God will save the elect without me. No, that's the whole point. He reaches the elect through the must of evangelism. And then before this verse is over, and so he says, let me, let me go ahead and read the, the, the whole verse again to kind of put it again in context. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, that gathering of Israel, them also must I bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And again, this is stunning. He's not going to have the Gentile sheep and the Jewish sheep. He says there's going to be one flock and one shepherd. That's the truth of the church. Where Jew and Gentile alike are brought together, Ephesians two fourteen, He Himself is our peace, and He has made both Jew and Gentile one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Or in Galatians three twenty eight. There's there's neither Jew nor Greek. There is one flock of God's people. I've shared a number of times when I was uh, living and studying in Israel. I went to a Messianic assembly. Uh, and and there were three elders of that church. One was a Gentile from America. One was a, a, a Jew from Europe who had immigrated. And one was a, a Palestinian Arab. And even then there were tensions. Oh, even then, there's always been tensions in the Middle East between Arabs and Jews. And, um, But one of the things I just used to love watching at church, sometimes I would see the three elders discussing something and sometimes I would just see them kind of do a little group hug as they lovingly prayed together and, and, and shared concerns. And I thought, oh, if the, it, it, this is what Israel, this is what the Middle East needs. Jew, Gentile, Arab, one in Christ. I heard of a missionary that went out to the uh, Native Americans, and I can't remember if it was Canada, north, northeast of the United States. And he was talking and teaching the believers there in one was a, the tribal chief, and as the missionary was talking about he, he, you know, our our father, or the father in heaven, or something like that, and the the chief said, "We have never heard the concept that the Great Spirit is a father." This is a wonderful truth. And then, as the missionary continued, he referred to him my father, and he said, "What did you just call him? My father? He's your father?" And he said, "Well, oh, yes." He's the father of everyone who believes in him in through Christ. Well, well, then he's my father. And he became more and more stunned. And suddenly his eyes lit up and said, well, if he's your father and he's my father, then that means we're brothers. And he was just getting the concept that that, that is the glorious hope of unity in Christ. And so Jesus says, I have other sheep, Jew, Gentile. It's going to be one flock. And, and when, we, when I think of where we are in our country right now, I see so much division and how the world needs to see one flock that we are united in Christ. In verses 17 to 18, he, he continues. Therefore, my, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I, and I may t- that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I received from my father. Now, again, when he called himself the good shepherd, he said, the good shepherd lays down, gives his life for the sheep. So he's restating that, but then he's adding a new concept. He also has the power to take it back up. Now, I was struck by this word to lay down. And again, that's why I want to emphasize the tra- better translation, most of you will have it, is lay down. I think the King James, New King James, maybe some others, give. But, it, but it's that picture of, 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 of laying down that's important. What struck me is, what's he talking about laying down his life? Well, he's talking about when he dies on the cross. And then I thought, what is the, what is the word he uses when he actually lays down his life. Luke twenty three forty six. if you have heard much about Christ on Calvary, you know, you've heard sometimes of the seven words or seven sayings or seven cries from the cross. You know, I thirst and, and others. Um, the final words that our Lord spoke are described in Luke 23, verse 46. This is the seventh of seven. When Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. That word commit is related to the word lay down. And so what he is saying at the moment, that moment on the cross, he is is laying down his life into his father's hands. No one takes it from me, says, I lay it down, verse 18, of myself. Jesus did not die by the will of man, nor by the effort of man. He died of his own will as he gave his spirit into his father's hands. By the way, some have suggested well, when when Jesus died, he, he went to hell for a while. Notice he says, what happened at the moment of death? His spirit left his body and went into his father's hands. That's not hell. He went into the presence, his spirit went into the presence of the father. He surrendered his spirit into the father's hands. But that that surrender is not an expression of weakness. He says, I have the authority, I have the power to surrender my life. It's not an expression of weakness. It's not an expression of failure. Notice he says, this command I received from my father. That's important to me because uh, there are some out there that want to suggest that that Jesus failed. He was, he was a wonderful moral teacher, but things got out of hand and they killed him and so mission Aborted, mission failed. No. His death on the cross is mission accomplished. That's why he could cry to the Father, "It is finished, paid in full." Uh, in particular, I guess I'm thinking of uh, you may have heard of the what's called the Unification Church. Sometimes we call the Moonies, grounded by Reverend Myung, Sun Myung Moon. And he his whole theory is his what he claims is is that Jesus he failed. He didn't complete the mission. And so God has raised up a second Messiah from Korea, it's Reverend Moon, of course. And he's going to accomplish what Jesus could not. I hope when I say that, your first thought is horror. I hope you don't say, oh, that's a good idea. Now, here's the whole point. Jesus saying he laid down his life because he's the good shepherd. It was his intention. It was his plan. It was his purpose. It's been said when you know, one of the thieves on the cross said, Why don't you, if you're the Messiah, why don't you rescue yourself and us? Had he rescued himself from the cross, we would still be in our sin. He had to die for our sin, he had to shed his blood for our guilt, not his. It was, he was bearing our wrath, not his. But he had to do it. That was the command of the Father. And so his whole point, and what he's telling them here is incredible, which you you can imagine the disciples didn't get it. You can imagine thinking of them talking later. That's what he was referring to, other sheep. That's what he was referring to. I must lay down my life, but gloriously, Even that doesn't finish the story. I verse 18. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I've received from my Father. Jesus is here predicting his crucifixion and his resurrection. That was plan A and there is no plan B mission assigned mission accomplished now he called himself the good shepherd and 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 you know shepherds, the problem with the shepherd dying is then the flock is unprotected, but sometimes shepherds in the wilderness, in an effort to protect their sheep, would die they weren't planning on dying, they weren't trying to die, but they were willing to die to protect the sheep from the predator. Jesus was planning to die, he needed to die he he purposed to die because he was dying for our sin but one of the shepherds in the wilderness that died because the wolves overwhelmed him that's the end of the story Jesus lays down his life and takes it back again the unconquerable foe defeated death defeated in the resurrection and Jesus is here announcing it Long before it happens, again, in terms that 's much clearer to us as we look from hindsight, I imagine his poor disciples are it 's winging past them, maybe maybe they 're still talking what 's he, what's he talking about other sheep Who's, what's what? And they just miss the fact that he 's saying, "I'm laying on my life, and i 'm taking it again, mission accomplished. Well, this will draw in, in verses nineteen to twenty one Take us off of Jesus' teaching, and and this encounter will draw to a close, and we'll come back a couple months later. We'll come back next Sunday, but to this text, there's a couple-month gap in there. I'll lay that out for us next time. But we read next in verses 19 to 21. He says, therefore, there was a, John says, there was a division among the Jews because of these saying. Many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So we see there is a division in response to his teaching. This is the third time John has told us there's a division in response to his teaching. In John 7.43, so there was a division among the people because of him. That's John 7.43 and then John 9.16, Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Jesus said, There are some of the sheep in the fold that are his and others that are not. I talked about the glorious truth that he's he's building, he has one flock. But there's also the truth that not everyone's in the flock. And there is truth that in Christ there is division. And, and we will find, and, and, that's, and when there's division, it needs to be over Christ. Christ divides. Who do you say that Jesus is? And there were some strong opinions. He, he, you know, he was saying there's different, not all of them are his sheep. Well, they're proving it right here. Some Jews say he's demonic or out of his mind. Why would they say that from what he's saying? Because they know what he's talking about. The good shepherd. Believe me. They knew Psalm 23 well. The Lord is my shepherd. He says he is the good shepherd. He's calling God his father. They thought that claim. He's either demonic. He's either empowered by Satan. He's lost his mind. Either way, don't follow him. Why would you listen to him? This reminds me of the, the argument that C.S. Lewis used and others used before him, and Josh McDowell summarized it this way. Um, Jesus is either lo- lord, lunatic, or liar. If he claimed to be God and knew he wasn't God, he's a, lo- he's a liar. If he claimed to be God and and he was God but he wasn't God then he's a lunatic and like C.S. Lewis says no better than a man who thinks he's a poached egg but if he claimed to be God and knew he was God then he is Lord and to be worshipped well they're saying he's either evil, demonic or he has lost his mind they're not even going to consider the possibility that he's from God so that's one response and so it strikes me we see what these later writers describe being fulfilled right here in the ministry of Jesus. Other looked at Jesus and specifically thought about the man he healed from the blind and said, when has this ever happened in history? They believed in demons. They believed in Satan's power. And, you know, we read about how Pharaoh's, um, you know, he, he had his magicians that could do some things that kind of copied Moses' uh, miracles. And yet, at some point, they ran out of power. And they said, where in history can you ever point to someone born blind who is unable to see? That has to be from God. I'm not saying that those were actually believers yet. But at least they're wrestling with, this can't be from Satan. This doesn't sound like the ravings of a madman. So they weren't buying it. I'm not saying they fully embraced Jesus Christ yet, but they weren't buying that, that he's some kind of evil or... Or unstable man. That doesn't fit. Over in Hebrews 2, we're told that God gave miracles to authenticate his messengers in the first century. And so the miracles were, were, were God's way of saying, this is from God. Remember with Moses, how will they know I'm from you? Here, I'll show you. And you will do these things. But but the key, I think John wants us, he brings us to a close, is right what exactly what happened is exactly what Jesus said was the problem there was a division some were sheep of his and some were not and there was a division here and all of a sudden we see sheep biting each other and arguing over who is Jesus that debate hasn't 2000 years later that's going on and so if you think about it this whole passage makes something clear There is a division in humanity. There's different ways people like to divide, the haves and the have-nots and whatever it might be. The biblical division is some follow Jesus and some do not. You might speak in terms of the elect and the non-elect or the saved and the lost, but basically what we're saying is there is a division in humanity over Jesus Christ, and that's the most important division. That's the eternal division, and that's a reality. You either follow Christ right into eternity or you refuse Christ right into an eternity apart from him. And that's called hell. There's only those two options. Remember Jesus said, I am the door. There's only one way in. You either follow Jesus Christ and will spend eternity with him in in heaven or you don't follow Jesus Christ and you're eternally separated from him and under the judgment of God I confess that is a hard truth but the best thing we can do is make that truth clear and hear that Jesus Christ is calling and offering to everyone full and free salvation believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved if you have yet to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ flee to him Follow him. Hear his voice. Again, he's clearly teaching the doctrine of election, though he's not using the word. His sheep are those who will respond to his voice, who will trust in him. And they will trust in him because they are elect. And so we see it's of God. God is sovereign. He offers to all. But to the elect, he enables to believe. But again, notice, again, some people get so upset over election, they say, With that, if you believe that God is sovereign, then, then that kills missions. And again, I could go through the great history and th- some of the greatest, the ones of the, the Great Awakening. George Whitefield, Jonathan Edwards, thoroughly believed in God's sovereignty and, and, and salvation. Um, we could go on and on and describe mm-hmm. one after another that were thoroughly committed to that truth. And were thoroughly committed to evangelism, like a David Livingston and others. William Carey, the, the father of modern missions, thoroughly believed in the doctrine of God's sovereignty and salvation. The whole point is it actually inspires it. When Paul was in Corinth, one of the most wicked towns, the, the, if you really wanted to insult someone, in the days of the Apostle Paul, you called him a Corinthian. It was notoriously wicked city. And there he found himself. And he's wondering, is it possible at all that anyone here, am I wasting my time? What am I doing in Corinth preaching Christ? And God appeared to him in a dream and said, don't lose heart. I have some people here. What was he saying? Yes. And the deep moral darkness and spiritual darkness of Corinth, I have some elect. And then he might he didn't say this, but he could have said, now go find them. <laughs> Here's the point of the encouragement. What was it that drove a David Livingston? He said, God said he has he has other sheep. What was he doing? He went looking for them. And so we might call um, evangelism sheep hunting. I don't know if that's a proper expression, but in other words, God's got some out there. Let's go find them. How will we know? How will we know when we present the gospel? They now, I have to say, sometimes you present the gospel and you're planting a seed. It's kind of like when I work in the yard, I might plant a seed and I'll come back in several months and nothing has happened. So I plant another seed. But, but if you do it right, you plant a seed and something comes up later. Sometimes you're, you're a seed planter. Paul talks about that. Some, some, some water. And some get to pick the fruit. But the whole point is, we need to look at the communities around us, wherever we are planted, and say, God has some people. Surely there are some here. Let's go find them. Now, you don't show up at the door with a notepad and say, Hi, I'm looking for elect sheep. <laughs> you present the truth and watch for God to bring it to life and hearts. And then I just want to end on this thought. I grieve when I read some of these other religious teachings that say that Jesus Christ was a failure. The cross is a shame. Islam, they say, they believe Jesus is a prophet. They say, but God would never put a prophet on the cross. He would never shame his prophets like that. It was somebody that looked like Jesus. It was was Judas Iscariot made to look like Jesus. This is what Islam would teach. Because the cross is considered a shameful defeat but then you look at believers in Jesus Christ they turn it into a piece of jewelry because it's not a a symbol of defeat it's a symbol of glorious victory and glorious truth glorious love I suppose we should probably be wearing a necklace with with an empty rock what is that? that reminds me of the empty tomb But the point is, the cross was not a defeat. It was the greatest victory. It's been said that when Jesus cried from the cross and said, it is finished, and died, the empty tomb was the Father's amen. And so Jesus ties those two together. I lay down my life, and I will take it again. I feel like we need to jump right into Easter, but we've got a couple months it's victory it's glory and it reaches even to us heavenly father thank you so much for our lord jesus christ oh to have to been there to hear those words and yet so many who heard them we wouldn't have understood them all to the fullest either but father what a privilege it is to read your word to hear our lord's voice in these words and, Father, may we be encouraged, may be uplifted. Father, I do pray if any here have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, open their eyes and hearts to hear and see and believe. And, Father, we give you thanksgiving. Far away we were from you, but you sought us out and bought us to yourself. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name.